Welcome to TPQ20, where we go beyond the page with poets about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. I'm Courtney Margolin. And I'm Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hey, Donez, how you doing? Hey, y'all. Hi. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Good. We know who you are, but to some of our audience, you are going to be uh, a brand new voice and name. If you were to give your elevator pitch on who is uh, Donna Smith, who are you? Oh, I don't know if I pitch myself ever. I'm Danette Smith and I'm a poet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect elevator pitch right there. It's like the mic drop. <laughs> so how did you get started in this whole weird world of poetry? I started doing poetry. I started writing poetry in earnest in high school through my ninth, well, my theater teacher all four years there by the name of Jan Mandel. She's like a St. Paul, Minnesota legend. And she taught using the teachings of like Augusta Bawal and like a lot of other folks who were thinking about the progressive and like communal power of poetry. And so we were like writing our own plays um, about whatever we saw fit to, um, whatever we were empowered to. And one day, this was like in the early aughts, and I think somebody from You Speaks, which is a You Spoken Word poetry organization on the Bay, came to our school and did a performance. And we were like, oh shit, we think we write poems. Because <laughs> they were so similar. They were better, but they had the same energy of these monologues that we were writing in our plays, you know, at the end of a scene, somebody getting up there and like, you know, basically doing a poem, but I don't think we had the language for it. And so we all kind of fell into it. And so we were all like, maybe we're poets. And so we started organizing open mics in our school. And then we got linked up to some kids or some other students that were doing something similar in Minneapolis. And that was like sort of how I discovered the local spoken word and like slam scene. And that was my like first jaunt into poetry. Oh, that's oh. beautiful. I love how that came together. Yeah, thanks, Jay Mandel. I didn't even know. Yeah, I just thought I was, I was just trying to do theater. I love acting, but then poetry. I, I guess I guess I'm a little curious. Has the acting bug, has it come back at all? Is it something that you want to, that you, have you done any theater since then? Or I mean, no, I have, I mean, yeah, I did theater all through college. The first time I like ever toured as a artist was to do a one person show. That was very much like a one-person theater show. I don't know if there was like a lick of poetry in there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the last play I ever acted in as an adult was a staging of one of Shanaka Hodge's plays. Shanaka Hodge is like a brilliant screenwriter and playwriter who also was a poet, is a poet. And yeah, and like, I, I think I like, in my head, I'm always like writing a play. I'm actually writing a play or two right now. So I don't think I'm done with theater or with the world of, drama i don't think i have the acting bug you know i think my love for it now is like as a writer and what how that writer it's so much more interesting than poetry sometimes right like thinking about like a screenplay or a stage play you write the script that then so many other people bring to fruition and i think that's sort of an exciting endeavor for me as a poet because i think about poetry as like how to make the truth or sometimes like the impossible image happened in the mind of a reader and the idea of like there being like another intermediary between me and the reader like it's not just me and the reader but me and the director and the actor and the like you know, and all the, all uh -huh. the other 
before you get to the viewer. Yeah, to me, that like that excites my poet brain in a in a way that maybe other genres don't. So yeah, I'm still very much like I think the same theater kid who's like faking it as a poet. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that I was a theater kid too. I love that multi-layered piece to it. Mm-hmm. So I think that brings us to our next question, which is about process. Kind of what is your writing process and kind of how do you prepare yourself? And we like to dig into do you have any special like superstitions or rituals that you dive into or feel drawn to when you uh, get into that process? Hmm. My process has looked so different at every any given time, right? I think there were times in my life when I was like more stringent with myself and was trying to do like, you know, you have to write every day and you have to write for X amount of time. I think for a while I had a weird ritual, not so much anymore, where like I would always make tea before I wrote. I never really drank the tea, but it was something about like making the tea maybe as like a final procrastination before I said it didn't have to be like a certain flavor. And if you didn't have that flavor, no, just tea, you know, no, I, <laughs> I, I would probably take like two sips of it the entire time, but it was just the making One of more thing. Tea. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was like, it was making the tea. Let me know I was about to write poems. Right now I'm a little less stringent by myself, although I am in the middle of trying to write a poem every day this year. Which is like kind of happening, but I'm like 10 days behind. But I wrote August 11th and 12th today. So, <laughs> so well, we're catching up. I guess, uh, that's good. Actually, I have kind of a question. That's on that. So one of the best pieces of advice that I got from a writing professor was to write a, write a poem a day for a year. And then at worst, you have one line that you can use to start that next year with. And that was kind of his way of saying you you may have, you know, if only one line in there was any good, at least you have one good line that you can use for something new. Like, how do you feel about this whole process? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think as a poet, right? I mean, like, I don't know about y'all, but like, there's so many poems that like, that I've written that will never see the light of day. Right. You know, so many lines that were important to me, maybe for like an early draft or something that I can't even recall now. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like I always tell people, like you gotta write for poetry. You gotta write like two or three books in order to write one. <laughs> you know? In order um, to write like a twenty poem chapbook, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, I might just that. Like you know, like for me, I guess like there's probably just as many poems that didn't make it into a book as there are poems in a book, and I think even more so, there's like you know, let's say like at the end of my life, I have like a thousand poems that I like am happy to show people. That sounds like so many. Um, <laughs> that would mean that there's probably 10,000 mm-hmm. poems that never saw the light of day. Yeah. And I can tell that through writing this process, you know, right now, sometimes I finish it and I'm like, oh, there were two sentences in there that I feel like will be used for later. Sometimes a whole, you know, a whole chunk of poem. I'm like, there's actually something salvageable here. It's really just about working the muscle. But I guess for me, nothing is really precious, right? Like, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. That must make it a little easier uh, to move on. Yeah, I mean, shit's going to suck, right? And I, 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 never... <laughs> I love that. It's just yeah. going to suck because it's going to move on. Yeah. And so, you know, the most, the like, worst, the worst that could happen when some shit sucks is that somebody sees it who's not supposed to. <laughs> but luckily, you know, luckily, I don't think anybody's hacking my computer for the draft. <laughs> so, like, it's just a and like and they really can't see because I write by hand now most of the time so they really can't there see my go. notebooks and thank God if they find with them on the street my handwriting shit so they can't tell me <laughs> but, you know it's just like the worst that can happen uh-huh. you know my allegiance I guess as a poet when I'm thinking about the poem 
sure I like have to like try enough for the first draft, but like my like ultimate allegiance, I guess, is to like the final draft. And I like know that that can't happen right away. Right. And so I have to allow those first drafts to be as messy or confused or whatever as they are. And I, maybe that's only come with experience that now I just like, I know the life of a poem, you know, I know the poems that it took me 10 minutes to write. And I know the poems that it took me years to write. And I'm the only one that knows those things, right? To, to somebody else, they're just two poems in the same book, you know, or in the same reading. And if that final stage, that final version is going to be the only one that I'm like working towards, then let me be like gentle towards the drafts as they're making their way there, right? Well, yeah, the yeah, beauty is that yeah. you gave them life. And so many of us are so afraid of that blank page, mm. right? Just so afraid to even give life to that first word mm-hmm. that they die before they ever get there. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about like writer's block, right? Like I, you know, I, there are times in my life where like, I have really struggled to like make something that I find credible, legible, enjoyable, whatever word we want to use. Even in the middle of writing homie, I had like, nine months of like intense writer's block and writer's block for me isn't like nothing will come it's like everything like if it does come it's shit and <laughs> the word and, credible to yeah, me that's credible, credible. credible right like i can make yes. words happen but just because i wrote them doesn't mean they're good you know <laughs> uh, they're shit for me that's what happens to me it's that credible <laughs> is, it, is that credible right and so like but i think part of that is even though we are scared of the blank page, if we know that our goal is a page with some words on it, then we have to brave the bad words, right? Yeah. Like sometimes you just got to write your way through the bullshit. And eventually that's what happened with me. I was like, I'm sick of writing bullshit. And so I was like, <laughs> let me try to write poems that I just don't know how to write or just like get into them different ways. And eventually it came back and I found something enjoyable again, right? Or maybe I needed to fill the tank up and like look at other art. But, you know, yeah, writing. So I think that maybe is the biggest part of our process is like maybe now, like recognizing like one, an ebb and flow. I'll say that. And like that I can't expect myself to be the same writer all the time just because as I'm constantly evolving, so should my process. Right. Sometimes my creativity just needs to be used for like mental health or the rent. And, you know, and like sort of like trusting I guess it's like trusting that you're a poet, you know? I think that's my process. It's like trusting that I've done this enough now to like know how it goes a little bit. And that even if I don't get there for four months, that doesn't mean I'm not going to get there again. Well, I I think that's, I was going to ask about pitfalls in the world of, you know, in in kind of your journey. And I think you're hitting on that and kind of how you've dealt with that. At least, at least one of them is that idea of, you know, sometimes you get writer's block and sometimes writing sucks. And mm-hmm. then eventually it's going to stop sucking for a little while and you'll get to do it again. Are there other pitfalls that have kind of come up for you or what have been those big obstacles that have maybe like uh, stopped you for a moment in your trajectory or given you some like self-doubt or something along the way? Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest pitfalls are just like stutter steps that I had was really when, and this was a, a long when, I started making money for my poems and how like asking my art to pay the rent meant that I was like looking at my own art in different ways and maybe making choices that a like political, like not worried about art making them money Denez wouldn't make. Even just in terms of like 
what gigs I'm taking. Do I really want to work with this publisher? Do I, you know, whatever reason, you know, and I think like, you know, and like sometimes those are my questions sometimes, you know, like walking alongside other folks and just seeing how their relationships to it changed. Like I know for me, like a big moment, like great moment was like being nominated for the National Book Award. Horrible moment was <laughs> trying to write after being nominated for the National Book Award. <laughs> <laughs> Because it didn't feel like confirmation. It felt like do it again. And then I really had to ask myself, like, and I think I was trying to do it again and like, you know, sort of make it back to that stage. And then I had to really ask myself, like, was that even why you got into the game? You know, like, did you start writing? Because you did when you started writing, you didn't even know what the fuck a National Book Award was. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there are contests where you can do things when you for writing. What is that? Yeah. Right. But I think like once I think it did become glittery for a while and I think I was attracted to the glitter and not really like down in the guts with like what the poems needed to be about for a little bit. Right. And it became like, okay, how do I keep this like momentum going or how do I, you know, like, ooh, like, can I be in like a little fancy magazine or like all this other kind of stuff? Right. Like, how do uh, I live up to what they're saying I am? Yeah. And then, and so, and it really made me lose track of what I was saying I was, I am, right? Mm -hmm. And I really had to ask that question of like, not who is Denez Smith in the world, but who is Denez Smith, the poet to myself at this point Mm -hmm. in time? You know, why do I continue to do right? I think I was done writing for a little bit, like legit done, like not like I'm never be a poet again, but I was just like, I don't have shit to say. And that was really kind of where I came to for a while was that I think I've said what I needed to say. I will speak again when I need to speak. Or I will like the poems will come when they need to come. And that was a hard intuition to trust. But it was the one uh, that felt right to go with, because I think there was a time and I think this can happen in the lives of like a lot of writers who maybe you are representative of a community in some way. You know, for example, I was very aware, I think, and my email was very aware that I was a black person living in Minneapolis over the last year. And there were times I chose to accept offers to write about that. And I remember one recently or like in, in the spring where I like, even just the tone of the ass, maybe just where I was, I, I was just like, I can't be the nigger today. You know, I can't be the one who is propped up because you know my name enough to get the clicks to like say something about this thing. And that I think earlier I would have been so elated to have been asked and da da da. Like, you know, of course this is a big deal. And surely it is. And I don't want to like shit on things for like younger writers or for writers who have different ethos to me. But I think for myself, I came to a place where I was like, whoa, slow down. Do you actually have something to say? Is, is it urgent or are you just trying to get the platform? Is it necessary or are you excited because you get to like say something into the world and speak and possibly move someone? Or are you excited because it's like cool and another notch on your CV? And, you know, I think there were decisions before where like it was just a notch on the CD. I probably didn't have the best shit to say. I probably should have gone to somebody else. But that's also, you know, hard because I think you have to uncouple capitalism somewhere in there. And it's like, you you said sometimes (laughs) you got to figure out how to pay your rent. Yeah, cats do know how to eat. Yeah. I mean, I think I know that that is a privilege now to like, like sort of be in a position where I can say no to certain things. And I guess my word of caution or how it's useful for anybody else is just like, trust your gut, slow down. And like, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> so yeah, trust your gut, <laughs> slow down. Because I think for a while I wasn't trusting my gut and I wasn't slowing down because I thought I was supposed to go at 
some speed that was predetermined. Well, um, I think or the, down there. And that wasn't the, true. The early world of, I mean, that early world of button, I mean, when they started and the, you know, those video pieces just propelled everybody immediately. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there was a, there was a trajectory and I think, and I could talk to Patrick Roche on here a little while ago. And there was that feeling that like things had to move very, very, very quickly because all of a sudden you had a million views on something and it was like, what are you supposed to do with this? You know, yeah, right. And it's like Patrick wrote, like, you know, like glad for everything that's happened to him. But like that his that was crazy. It's uh Patrick Roche, like, you know, damn well that could have been Patrick Roche's like first poem on the internet. He was like literally, a slam poet. And it was like six months was before boom. that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like all of a sudden you have a career, right? And I think I know for me, I don't think I was in a place when I started having a poetry career to really contend with that. I think. I was still growing up, you know, in the way that a lot of people in their early 20s are still growing up. Like, I wish the things that happened to me at like 22 would have waited till like 29. You know? <laughs> I think that's happening a lot right now where we have a lot of people who are being thrust into these big platforms and are being asked to speak on these huge issues and are just learning about themselves, let mm -hmm. alone these huge issues, and then are finding themselves weighed down with I'm not sure who I am as a person, mm -hmm. let alone as a planetary spokesman. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think we also have to have like some tenderness and time. Like I always have to remind myself that Amiri Baraka was once Leroy Jones, right? And that like, and that was a very real and felt thing for him. But like, we also, part of the grace, I guess, of like the long careers that we get to see folks get older and change their ways and their views and change their mind and disagree with their yes. earlier selves. And I, I think- as long as we can offer that to ourselves. And I think as long as we extend that, particularly towards young writers, to know that it's very hard sometimes making mistakes in public. Oh, you know, it's so you know, painful. When the microphone is thrust in front of your face. You know, I think that is, it's a kindness of like, may, of like and I don't want to like infantilize folks by saying, oh, youth, and nobody's growing until they're 30, whatever, you know, because that's not true for everyone. But if we give people enough grace to, hmm, and I need to do this for some people too, I'm actually reading myself here. The, oh. grace, <laughs> um, the grace to learn, the grace to fuck up, but also correct and do right and to still grow up. Because I think we all know, like, the older we get, the more you know that growing up never stops. Right. So, yeah. Do you know how fucking thankful I am that I did not grow up in a fucking era online where all my shit can't be blasted out? <laughs> I'm fucking old. <laughs> my shit wasn't recorded. It wasn't fucking cheated. <laughs> yeah, but we had to go get our photographs, you know, printed out at the store where we know how many copies of those photographs are now floating around in somebody's like basement wall somewhere tacked up. But only on the basement wall, you only know. The, that is true. <laughs> only on the basement wall. That wall, yes. The only, there was not a Facebook wall or a MySpace wall or a Twitter. You know, wall and if and if God is real, there may be a flood to care of it or something <laughs> like that. You know. <laughs> Please, Jesus, so, someone. <laughs> so then, so as we, uh, yeah. our last question. What are you most excited about in literature right now? And what should we know what's coming up for you? Mm. Okay, so the not interesting part of that is the for me part. I didn't got shit. So don't, <laughs> don't look for anything. Honestly, like I think I feel like I want to be a lot slower with my next couple of projects. I like I released all three of my books within a five year span. It's like five years and one month from the publication of my first to my third book. And when I think about that, that is like a rapid amount of like writing and editing and like putting shit out there. And I never want to do that again, I think. 
<laughs> or I just want more time. Like I yeah. feel like the poems they're speaking to me, the plays are speaking to me, but they feel slower, more intricate, or just maybe like they're not too pressed to be out into the world anytime soon. Good. And they need to think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so nothing for me, but I do think I would, I was thinking about this question earlier, what I wanted to say for it. I was setting up my office today at a new like gig and I was putting my books up and like, I very unshamefully was like organizing people by their identity on the bookshelves. <laughs> I won't say like all the different groups, but it was definitely like, I, people. I was just like, oh, where's the gay men? And I can go to like, the black woman shelf, uh, you know, like all these different shelves, you know, but like, <laughs> sorry, no writers. Uh, but the most exciting shelf, I think, Especially because I was like, I didn't know, I was like, ooh, I was like deciding what to do with like, you know, like, do I separate trans writers from like, their like cis allies or their cis like compatriots and like man and woman. And then eventually just because of space, I was like, cool, I'm going to put all the non-binary folks and all the trans folks, um, whether trans men or trans women on the same shelf, although I do have a lot of people. And it was like the trans shelf was just so popping. And I just felt like, you know, if you're not reading the Taylor Johnsons, the Cam Ockford Riches, the Jasmine Reeds, the Anais Doblins, the like, you know, the Saray Jarrell Johnsons of the world, like there are just so many incredible Chase Burgum. Like there are just so many incredible, incredible, incredible trans writers. Joshua Jennifer Espinosa, shout out to the triple OG, you know. I, not triple OG is just that I think uh, Joshua Jennifer is one of those people who was like popular on Tumblr is what it feels like old school. <laughs> <laughs> but they're yeah. just so I feel like when I looked at that shelf granted like it was a it was a great shelf poetry but I felt like the shelf that was most pointing us forward and pointing us to the stranger surrealer and more vital possibilities out there was the trans shelf. And so, yeah. So if you're not reading a lot of trans poets, make sure you go out there. And Beautiful. Thank you so much for hanging out on TPP20. We look forward to taking a little breath and seeing what these plays are like when they're finished up. Yeah, um, coming at you 2030. <laughs> beautiful. That's a good year. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will talk with you soon. Thank you all. Appreciate it. This was like so fun and quick. I love it. Thank I you. Love it. I love it. We'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah, please, please, please. Sometimes. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to TPQ20. Please like, review, and subscribe.